are you out there? Amen. A couple blessed people, a couple good people, a couple people just moaning. That's all right. You're in the house of God. Amen. Come how you are. The thing is, the way we come is not the way we leave. There's many times I've come to the house of God beaten up, broken down, and left blessed. There's times I've been at the pulpit preaching sick, and when I left, I was not sick anymore. The most important thing is just to be faithful and be here. Be under the spout where the glory's pouring out. Amen? <laughs> well, we are in Proverbs chapter 3 tonight, and we've been preaching through this very familiar text of Scripture here in Proverbs 3. I'm going to read you... Uh, verses 5 through 7 in just a minute. We're going to hone in on the second part of verse 6. But let's thank God for the word tonight, and let's uh, ask him to bless the preaching of the word so that we can receive it and it can change us. Amen? Father, we thank you tonight for the word. What a treasure you've given us, 66 books that lead us into truth and give us the answers to life's questions. Father, tonight we thank you also that you have filled us with your spirit. Holy Spirit, open up our understanding so that we can not just hear, but allow our hearts to be changed so we can do, so that we would not just be hearers, but doers of the word. Holy Spirit, we know that without you, that's impossible. So we're asking you to open up our hearts and drive the principles of the word deep in our hearts tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Part three of our series here in Proverbs 3. I'm going to read verses 5 through 7. Very familiar text here. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Now, we've preached through these few verses already. Here's, the, here's our focus tonight. And he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. So verse 6 is our target. In all your ways, acknowledge him. We talked about that last week and uh, how God needs to be the center of our life. He needs to be involved in every part of our life, and he shall direct your paths. This is kind of more of the same in verse 6, but we're going to take a look at that, and he shall direct your paths. Now, we learned that if we trust the Lord, and we trust him to the point where we don't lean on our own understanding, we're on the right track. You see, we could say we trust God, but then we try to do things in our own strength, or we try to figure everything out, and if we can't figure it out, we don't want to do it. See, that's not walking by faith. That's walking by sight. And we can't walk by sight and get too far in the Lord. So we've got to learn this faith walk. And this faith walk means trusting God, trusting in his goodness, trusting in his wisdom, trusting in his faithfulness when it seems like he's not there or he's not going to come through or he forgot or this promise is not going to come to pass that we still believe. You realize God lets us get out on the limb to the point where it looks like now, now we're stuck. And then he says, saw the limb off. And we say, uh-uh. But we saw the limb off and the tree falls down. Some of you ain't getting this picture, are you here? You, they, didn't see, they didn't see the cartoons we saw growing up, right, Pastor Right. But I mean, God says to do things that don't make sense, but when we're obedient, they work out because he is above the natural laws. He's above the wisdom of man. He's above our own intellect and understanding. So we trust in the Lord. We don't lean on our own understanding. We walk by faith and not by sight. When we learn to acknowledge his lordship in every area of our lives, then we can expect him to do something incredible for us that, that is mentioned here in verse 6. The incredible thing that God will do for us when we trust him and we lean on him is that he will direct our paths. If you've ever directed your own path and made a big mess of your life, you know how awesome it is that God promises to direct our paths. Amen? I don't know about you. When I do my own thing and go my own way, I make my own mess. And the thing is, God says, I'll direct your paths, but you got to trust me. you got to stop leaning on your own understanding. you got to walk by faith and not by sight. The first truth we need to understand is that God will direct us, but we need to be attentive and submissive to his leading. You're taking notes tonight. We need to be attentive. My sheep hear my voice. And what? We hear him and then what? We do his will, right? But we've got to hear. And it's hard to hear if we're not attentive. 
You ever try to talk to somebody who's not listened to you? I'm feeling some of that now. You're trying to get somebody's attention and they're distracted? Don't you love talking to people who are on their phones? I just want to go up and smack the phone out of their hand. Never mind what I want to do. You know, it's like I've been in people's offices where they're totally ignoring me, not listening to me, you know, looking through their mail, looking on their computer, and we're supposed to be having a meeting. You alive Wednesday night? This is going to go easier if you respond. <laughs> so it's attentive and submissive to his leading. We've got to pay attention, and then we've got to hear his voice, and then we've got to submit to what he says. Even if we don't understand it, even if we don't like it, we're just going to do what God is leading us to do. Now, even in the light of God's sovereignty and the theological implications of predestination, the Christian walk should still not be a forced march. Let me say that again because there was a lot in there. We need to get it. In light of God's sovereignty, God is sovereign. God gets his way. God's, God's you know, plan is going to happen whether you and I fall in lockstep with it or not. You and I are not going to short-circuit the sovereignty of God. God's not up in heaven going, they won't listen to me. I can't get anything done. God is sovereign. So in light of God's sovereignty and the theological implications of predestination, you and I are predestined to be sons and daughters of God. You and I are predestined to do the exploits of God. You and I are predestined to, 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 to live from certain time to a certain time. And, and we're, our steps are ordered by the Lord. Amen. Amen. So we got this predestination thing that's driving us, and we've got the sovereignty of God where he's going to execute his will. But still, the Christian walk should not be a forced march. God doesn't force anybody to be attentive or submissive. God doesn't force anyone to be obedient. Yet God knows how to get our attention and let us get ourselves into situations where now we say, okay, God, now I'll listen. Come on Wednesday night. What did Jonah do? God said to Jonah, go do what I told you to do. Jonah went the other way. I ain't doing it. No, I am not going to Nineveh. You send somebody else. Pick another sucker. I'm, I'm out. He went the other way. And what happened? God prepared a great fish for him. God's prepared some things for people who are stubborn and disobedient. I don't want to know what God's prepared for me if I don't listen. I just want to listen. <laughs> I don't want to be swallowed up by no fish. I don't want to be swallowed up by life circumstances. I don't want to be swallowed up by my, my own foolishness. And so God is sovereign and he's predestined us, but the Christian walk is not a forced march. He wants us to comply, to submit, to be attentive, and to yield to him, amen? Such a beautiful thing, this, this submission of our own will that we would yield to God. Now, I believe that if we're in Christ and we really belong to Jesus, he's going to eventually have his way in our lives. Do you believe that? He's going to get us from point A to point B, and you know what? He's going to do it by his grace. It might take a little more time if we're, you know, not compliant, but he's going to get us to point, from point A to point B. Now, that being said, free will does factor into the equation here, and here's how. When our free will clashes with God's perfect path. See, he said he would direct our paths, but we've got our own will. What did Jonah's will clash with God's perfect will, didn't it? God wanted to direct his path. He said, I'm not going that way. When our free will clashes with God's perfect path, the one that he's mapped out for us, the one that he's predestined us to walk, we wind up making the path longer, harder, more stressful, and less enjoyable. If you don't believe me, ask Jonah. I guarantee he would say, I wish I would have did it God's way the first time. It made a nice fish story, but it's better to be obedient than to have to go through all these things. You know what? We make things harder on ourselves than they have to be. 
we stay addicted to things and connected to things and connected to people that God and the Holy Spirit has long ago told us to stop and cut off. We make things, we make the path longer. Why? Because God wants to take us from point A to point B, but we go on detours and tangents and rest stops. Don't get quiet on me now. Smile at somebody. So, yes, God's going to have his way in our life. It's up to us if we make the path longer, harder, more stressful, less enjoyable. You know, it's so much more enjoyable in life to just do the will of God instead of fighting the hand of God. Amen? Anyone ever try to fight the hand of God only to feel his resistance? And you know what? The the stress of that just sucked all the joy. Why? Because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Amen? So when I say, no, I'm not doing it like a little kid. I'm not doing it. God says, okay. All right. We were going to have fun, but we ain't having fun now. Your kids get up on the wrong side of the bed. They're in a bad mood. You had a great day planned out for them, but they've just got a bratty attitude. We ain't going to have fun now. The same with God. We're his children. Sometimes we get one of them, their attitudes. Anybody? Oh, we're all trying to look so holy now. I've seen someone do it, but I've never done it. Yeah, we all resist the Lord. And so God is going to lead us, and it's up to us, you know, how many uh, wrong places we wind up, how many tangents we go on, how many accidents we have along the path. Remember, he wants to direct our path. How many breakdowns we have along the way. You know, a lot of times we, we, we go our own way, and we wind up at the wrong destination. How many like being lost and then winding up someplace you weren't supposed to be? Not fun. Not fun on the highway, not fun in life. So God will lead us, and it's up to us whether we make that a pleasant or unpleasant experience. Now, if you've ever tried to lead someone or something that doesn't want to follow your leading, you know that that is a delightful experience. Could you imagine how God feels, Pastor Mike, when we kick and scream and drag our feet? If you've ever had to lead someone that doesn't want to follow your lead, maybe a stubborn employee that you work with, maybe a child. Does anyone have teenagers? Come on, they're all in the back. We can talk about them now. Did you ever notice they don't want to listen? Did you ever notice when some of those hormones hit their body, they suddenly realize that they know everything and you're stupid. And they don't want to listen to you. And they know better. And everything you say is dumb. Oh, it's such a joy to lead someone like that. Maybe a younger sibling. You know what? I see people who have animals and they think, you know, well, I'm going to lead this animal around. I've seen, you know, these little tiny ladies walking their, you know, bull mastiff. Lady, you ain't walking that dog. That dog is walking you. You know, they're all like, ah. If you've ever seen a horse that doesn't want to listen, look, horses don't like me. Every time I get on a horse, I guess I'm heavy. I don't know. Pastor Mike, every time I get on a horse, it tries to bite me. Yeah, they don't like me. I rode through the Rockies on a horse. That thing wanted to bite me every chance it could get. He was like, get off me, dude. You're killing me. If you've ever seen a mule, yeah. Mules don't like to comply. Donkeys, jackasses, mules, all of those things, they'll dig their feet in, they'll lean back, they'll, you try to drag them by the reins. They, they are obstinate, stubborn animals. Now, when we consider all these things about being led and allowing God to direct our paths, we want to be compliant. We don't want to be the proverbial mule. We're going to talk about this in just a little bit. But there's three things to consider when God directs our path. Number one is this. It is foolish to resist the leading of God. Psalm 32, 8 through 9. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you are to go. This is God speaking. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will advise you with my eye on you. Listen to verse 9. Here it is. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which has no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near you. So here's the psalmist giving us a picture of what it's like to resist the will of God. It's a foolish 
thing to do. God says what in Psalm 32? I will instruct you. Listen to that. I will advise you. Let's look at those two things there. When God says he will instruct us, what is he saying? That he will be faithful to give us the specifics on his will for our life at one step at a time. See, we would like, you know, an itinerary from God. You know, it's like when you go flying, you got your itinerary, you're supposed to get on this plane, you're supposed to stop here, you're supposed to hold up. You know, we want to see the whole thing, the itinerary. God, I've noticed God doesn't hand out itineraries. He gives us one step at a time. Well, when can I get the next step? When you do the step he gave you. Well, I want to see all the steps to see if I want to go on this trip. That's not the way it works. Uh, look, uh, I don't like it any more than you do. But that's the way God acts. Do you know why God doesn't give us an itinerary? Do you know why he doesn't tell us all the steps? Because we would mess them up. We would skip steps. Anybody ever build something from Ikea? I don't need no directions. I don't need to do step 19. You were building a lampstand. You got an ottoman when you were done. God instructs us. He's faithful to give us one step at a time. And then it says, I will advise you with my eye upon you. Man, God's got his eye on us. Isn't that comforting? I'm glad somebody's watching me. God's looking at us. We're his children. And while he's looking at us, he's going to instruct us. But he also said, I, I will advise you. Now, God is also committed to advise us in the areas of his permissive will. What does he do? He instructs us in his perfect will because there's things we've got to do to reach our destiny, amen? But then he advises us in his permissive will. There are some things that are just permissive. We could do it. It's not going to short-circuit the plan of God in our life. You know, should I do this? Should I do that? Should I take this job? Should I go here? Should I go there? There are certain times where God, you know, it's permissive. It works into the plan either way. So he instructs us in his perfect will, and he advises us in his permissive will. Are you getting this tonight? Verse 9 paints a picture of those who kick and buck against the leading of God. And the point here is that it is a foolish thing to do. Listen to verse 9 again. Don't be like the horse or the mule. Amen? Now, being called a mule is not a compliment. You'd be better off being called a horse. They're noble and majestic and carry most people around without biting them. But a mule is not a compliment because they're stubborn, they're, you know, they, they just are naturally inclined to resist and they, they, they want to do their own thing. So don't be like the horse or the mule. Look what it says about them, because they have no understanding. You know, the person who resists God shows that they're not very wise. Why? Because he knows everything and we don't. He sees the big picture and we don't. He knows our beginning and end and we don't. He has the itinerary, and we don't. So don't resist God. Don't be stubborn. Uh, don't be the proverbial mule. Why? Because they have no understanding. And look how God has to deal with something that has no understanding or deal with someone who has no understanding. It says, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. You see, if we won't just be compliant with God and listen with God, he's got to put a bit on us. And he's got to put a bridle on us. What does that do? If you know about horses, mules, donkeys, whatever, a bit is a piece of steel that goes in the, the animal's mouth and it's connected to the bridle. And when you pull on the reins, that bit drives into their jaw and through pain compliance, they listen. Uh-oh. You mean, God, if I won't listen, you, you, you'll make me compliant by allowing me to suffer pain? Welcome to life, boys and girls. This is a powerful lesson, amen? I don't want God to have to put something in my mouth. I don't want God to have to jerk me around because I'm stubborn like a mule. I want to be compliant, and you want to be compliant. God will instruct us. God will, will advise us. But if we are stubborn like mules and we exercise the, you know, our own will and clash with his, the bit and the bridle is the next stop. He loves us too much to let us just run wild. So he's going to tame us and break us like a wild horse. And that takes a bit and a bridle and a saddle. So it's foolish to resist the leading of God. He will direct our paths. Let's submit to him. Number two, 
It's the precious Holy Spirit who's tasked with leading us. You say, who's leading us? Well, we're being led by the Holy Spirit of God. Listen to John 16, 13. And when he, the spirit of truth comes, now Jesus is there and he's with his disciples, but he's going uh, up to be with the Father, to sit at his right hand, to make intercession, to prepare, you know, the, the reward for those who serve him. Uh, right now, Jesus is working on mansions with your name on it. Amen? Hey, heaven's our final destination, but when the spirit of truth comes, in the meantime, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. So who is tasked with leading us? The Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth. He is hearing from the Father and directing our paths according to the will of God. We are those who have the, uh, you know, because we're born again, we have the Holy Spirit in us. We have Christ in us, amen. We have a built-in GPS that will lead us step by step, and his name is the Holy Spirit. You know, there are many times as a Christian, you know, and all of us get to a place where I don't know what to do. You ever get to a fork in the road or a four-way stop in life? <laughs> and you're like, what? it's time to listen to the Holy Spirit. It's time to stop and listen and let him guide. He will instruct us. The word promises us what? That he will lead us into all truth. The Holy Spirit, again, is like our personal GPS. He will get, if we'll follow him, he'll get us to arrive at the right place at the right time. And you know, when we get there, just like following the GPS, sometimes we won't know how we got there. You ever just listen to your GPS and you do this turn and you do that turn? Anybody actually, you know, like my wife and I, we yell at it and argue with it. Anybody else? We name ours and we, we yell at her and fight with her. No, this is the wrong way. But if you just listen to the thing, 99.9% of the time, it gets you where you, where you got to go. Amen? Now, with the Holy Ghost, it's 100% of the time. He'll get us where we got to go if we'll listen. But many times when you follow GPS, when you get there, you don't, you don't remember all the turns and all the stops and what road you want. Anybody? Man, without my phone, I don't know anybody's number. Without my GPS, I can't get anywhere. There used to be this thing called a map. Any, anyone seen one of those in a museum? Amen. It used to be like a black belt level skill if you could fold the map back into. You give a young person a map and tell them to write something in cursive on it, they'll just have a, a meltdown. Sorry, Jared, I'm not picking on you. But <laughs> the Holy Spirit is tasked with leading us, and he will lead us well, but we've got to follow him. Number three, uh, the last thing I want to point out here is the word of God is our map. It's the roadmap that the Holy Spirit uses to direct our paths. Look, God's never going to ask us to do anything that contradicts his word. God's never going to lead us or guide us or direct us to do something that violates his word. Uh, the word is our bedrock. It's our map. It's what the Holy Spirit will use to direct us and guide us according to the will of the Father. The Father and, and the Son, the Holy Spirit proceeds from them. And listen, God's never going to ask you to do anything that violates his word. Now, the Holy Spirit will illuminate and reveal to us where we're supposed to go. Now, when I say the word, uh, there's two facets of the word. There's the logos word and the rhema word. And I want to talk about that a little bit. God will use both to lead us and direct us. The logos word is the written word of God. Is that your Bible? Hold it up. I left mine home. I got notes. That's the written word of God. And God will use that to direct us and guide us. It's what's written in scripture. Now, there again, God will never tell us to do anything that violates the word of God. So the Logos is our map. It keeps us in bounds. It gives us the boundaries. And it's what God will use 
to direct us. The rhema word is different. It's the spoken word of God. So there are times where God will use prophetic things or insights or even the, uh, you know, someone's praying for you and they come up to you and you're, you're struggling with something. They say, I got a word for you from the Lord. I was praying for you and he said to do X, Y, and Z and it should confirm what the Holy Spirit's doing in your heart. Come on, anybody have somebody come to them and just give them a word that confirms exactly what the Holy Spirit's been saying. That's the rhema word, Amen. Now, the rhema word is a unique, specific word that applies to us as individuals. But there again, it can never violate the word of God. Someone can't come to you and say, I got a, I got a rhema word for you. You're supposed to leave your wife and go on the mission field. Some people were saying yes and amen. That was an illustration. That was not a rhema word. The rhema word can be specific and unique and prophetic and thank God for it, but it has to line up with the Logos word. So God will lead us by these two things, by the Holy Spirit, the Logos and the Rhema, uh, not giving uh, the Logos and the Rhema its rightful place in our lives will bring us to a huge disadvantage as we walk this walk. God wants to direct our paths, but if we won't allow the word to be our roadmap, if we won't allow the spoken word to uh, encourage us and confirm to us, you know, exactly what we're supposed to do, if we won't submit to the Holy Spirit, we're going to have a hard time navigating the path that he's trying to direct us on. Amen. Listen to Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. A lamp and a light. Why would you need a lamp and a light to walk a path? Because it's dark. We live in a dark world, and it's getting darker by the moment. The nations are raging, the heathen are raging, the wicked are raging. Why? Because Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming to get his church, and when he removes the church and the restrainer is removed, all hell is going to break loose on earth. It's dark, and it's getting darker. And if we're out there trying to navigate in the dark by our own understanding, remember the, 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 the other part of the psalm, lean not on your own understanding. If we're out there and we won't allow the logos and the rhema to have inroads into our life, if we're resisting the Holy Spirit, then we are walking in the dark without a lamp and without a light. Wow. I don't know about you, but if you've ever walked in pitch black dark, it's really difficult to navigate. There, there, I've been in places at times in the woods where you could not see your hand in front of your face. I walk through the woods early in the morning when I'm hunting without any flashlights, without anything. I have a technique that I use to get my night vision activated. I close my eyes for a long time. There's a whole process. But I walk without lights in the dark. And I'm telling you, it takes some practice. And I've walked into some stuff. I've tripped over some things, trying to be quiet. You're looking at me funny now. So walking in the dark is a hard thing. How many times you get up at night, you don't want to turn the light on? And you know, you know, walking in the door, I'm just going to make it to, you know, you're going to stub your toe. Because you can't see. You and I need a light. You and I need a lamp. You and I cannot navigate the darkness of this world in our own understanding, in our own savvy, in our own strength. It's the Holy Spirit that's tasked with leading us. But the Holy Spirit will use the word of God to direct and guide us. Now, I want to point out one more detail here in verse 6. It says, the text does not say that God will direct our path. It says that God will direct our paths, plural. Do you see that? And he shall direct your paths. Well, I'm walking on multiple paths here. Yeah, we all do every day. This speaks to the reality that God knows that our lives are complicated. Hello? Anybody's life complicated? Anybody got a lot of things on their plate? Anybody have, wear more than one hat? Come on, some of you ain't raising your hand. You must be retired. 
But there's always, you know, there's a lot going on in our lives. God knows that our path is complicated. He knows that we live these multifaceted, multidimensional, you know, lives with all these demands on us. And every believer needs to learn how to follow the direction of the Holy Spirit in several paths simultaneously. Oh, you're saying this sounds difficult. I have hard enough time doing one thing. Well, we might do one thing at a time, but we're still walking in multiple paths. And every believer needs to learn uh, about these paths to be cognizant of the fact that we walk them every day. And there's four specific ones I want to talk about. The first path that all of us are going to walk is a spiritual path. Now, the spiritual path is the most important path because... The things that we accomplish in the spiritual realm will last for eternity. Now, the spiritual paths that we walk on have everything to do with the grooming and the positioning and the anointing of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Do you know what the Holy Spirit's job is to lead us in these paths? But at the same time, what he's doing us is conforming us to the image of Christ. He is sanctifying us every minute of the day. He's teaching us to be less like our old carnal nature and more like Jesus. Come on, you and I should understand this. We should know this. The point of the drill when we get up in the morning is not to get enough coffee in us that we can stay between the two lines on the road and get to the job that we don't like working so that we can pay the bills that we made for ourselves. Come on, church. That's not what we're here for. We got bigger purposes than that. And the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us and conforming us to the image of Christ. And so the first thing that we have to recognize about the spiritual path that we walk is that we are being groomed by the Holy Spirit to be more like Jesus. What happens on that spiritual path? There's the activation and implementation of our spiritual gifts. Each one of us have been given spiritual gifts, but we're given them in seed form. And we have to develop those gifts. My first sermon was not as good as this one. Was yours, Pastor Mike? No. We, we're developing. We're growing. We're harnessing. We're honing what? Our spiritual gifts. The first thing I played on the guitar didn't sound like what I played tonight. My parents had pillows over their ears for years. So we've all got gifts, but we've got them in seed form. You might look, well, my gift is not that good. Work on it. Develop it. Use it. Come on. Come on. You have no idea what that gift will become if you will take it from seed form and, and work on it and develop it and let the Holy Spirit put an anointing on it. My goodness. Mmm. So that's a spiritual path we walk. We're being groomed by the Holy Ghost. Our gifts are activated and implemented, and they're being developed, and we're producing spiritual fruit, and eventually we need to spiritually duplicate ourselves. Spiritual reproduction is the point of the drill. If I use my gifts and I use my anointing and I do what God's called me to do, but I don't affect anybody and I don't raise up anybody, and when I die, everything dies with me, I've failed as a leader and as a man of God. We have to develop others. We have to reproduce ourselves in others. This is a wake-up call for some of us. I just thought I had to do my thing and finish my race and get my reward. Yeah, but we've got to pass the baton to the next generation. We've got to pass the anointing to the next generation. And, and sometimes that doesn't happen, and we see a decline in the effectiveness and the spiritual intensity of the church. So we have spiritual paths to walk. What, what's the other paths we have to walk? We, we all have relational paths to walk. Anybody live in the woods all by themselves and don't talk to anybody all week? Hermits for Jesus, hallelujah. No, we're relational. We're relational, amen. Our relationships, are uh, they matter to God and they're important to us. Relationships will make or break the path that we walk. 
the number one relationship in our life has to be our relationship with Jesus Christ. Not with our spouse, not with our friends, not with our, you know, buddies, but with Jesus. Jesus has to be first. I know we're all saying amen, and I know we all know this is right, but a lot of times we got our relationship priority out of order. And I run to this person, and I run to that person. I confide in this person. I spend my time with this person. And Jesus is in the secret place waiting for us. He's like, where you at? Our relationships matter to God, and our relationship that matters the most is the one we have with Jesus Christ. And all of us get distracted and confused about this. And as God directs us in the paths that he's ordained for us, if we're not in communion with Jesus, those paths are not going to be fulfilling to us. They're not going to be exciting to us. Because our heart and our mind is going to be on other things and other people and other pursuits and other relationships. Quiet now. God, help us to put you first, to make Jesus Lord of all in our lives so that as you lead us in the paths that you've ordained for us, they'll be exciting and meaningful and productive for us. Relationships matter. Yes, Jesus is number one. Then our spouse, then our children, our family, our friends, our coworkers, our peers, all of these things, there's a hierarchy to the importance of relationships. Find out what that hierarchy is and spend your time wisely. Too many times people are in our life for a season and we didn't avail ourselves of them while they were there in our lives. And now they're gone. They've passed away. They've moved away. Somehow we've been separated and now we don't have access anymore. And we didn't get all we were supposed to get from that relationship because we didn't discern its significance and we didn't spend the appropriate amount of time uh, developing that relationship. Please hear me. Avail yourself of the people God puts in your life for the season that you're in. Enjoy your spouse. Enjoy your parents. I have both of my parents here that have to listen to me preach all the time. God bless them. Well, what a blessing to have in my life. A blessing to have a wife to, to commune and convive. A blessing to have a friend like Pastor Mike. You know, we have all these relationships, but do we avail ourselves of them? Mm, I'm just going to let that settle in for a second. So we have spiritual paths. We have relational paths. All of us have vocational paths. Everybody work? You have a money tree in your yard or somebody sends you a check? No, all of us have to work. There's no money tree. There's nobody sending us. I don't think any of us are independently wealthy here. But we have to work, and so we spend so much time working, don't we? I forget what the percentage of our life is that we spend at work, but it's a high percentage. I think, I think we sleep more, don't we? Close. Some of us don't. But think of that. Between sleeping and working, there's a big chunk of our lives eaten up. Amen? And so where we work, our vocational path is important. Why? Because how unfulfilling and unproductive is it to work at a job that God has not ordained for us to work at, to pursue a career just because it looks lucrative or, you know, to do a job just to pay bills. Listen to me. I'm not telling you to quit your job. I'm not telling you to second guess where you're at, but I'm telling you this. If God's got something better for you, different for you, don't put a lid over yourselves and allow yourself to be stuck in a place that God never ordained for you to be. I see so many people that sell themselves so short and, you know, when I encourage them to do this, reach out, believe God for this, and I can't and it won't happen and I'm too old and all these excuses. I remember talking to one person. They were stuck in a dead-end job working at a place where they could never be promoted, and I'm trying to encourage them. God has something better for you. God has something bigger for you. God wants to knock the lid off you. And then all of a sudden, you know, they, they weren't really buying what I was selling, but I kept praying, and within a few weeks, they came to me and said, hey, a door opened for me, and, and, and the lid's blown off me, and I got this and that and this in the future and, and upward mobility. Come on. That's the hand of God. 
But we've got to do what God's called us to do. We've got to work with our heart and our hands and our minds and our gifts at the job that God has ordained for us to do. Look, I, I can do a lot of things, but this is the only thing I'm called to do. And I'm going to do it. Amen. Well, Pastor, you can make more money if you do this. Well, you know what? I don't care. You know, some of it, well, I, I can make more money if I go into this thing, but did God call you to do that? I know people that are called to be on the mission field, called to be in the pulpit, called to do works of ministry, yet they're stuck in jobs that they, they got pushed into that they don't really even enjoy, and they've made all these bills for themselves, and now they've forfeited the work of God and the call of God on their life. It's a sad thing to see because there's very little fulfillment when you're stuck in a spot like that. So there's spiritual paths, there's relational paths, there's work paths. We walk all of these simultaneously. And the last one I want to cover, there's more, but this is the last one I'm going to cover tonight. There's a physical path. The spiritual man in some very real ways is limited by the physical man. You and I can't do what God's called us to do if our bodies are so broken down, we don't have the energy, the focus, and the physical ability to do it. Uh-oh, I think he's going to tell us to exercise. <laughs> there are physical paths. Listen, I've seen people that have called God in their life there again. I've seen people that have amazing giftings, but you know what? They can't use their gifts and they can't follow the call. Why? Because their bodies are broken down. They're not healthy. They're sick or they're overweight or they're, you know, they have all kinds of, you know, broken parts. Now, I know as we get older, these bodies don't get any shinier. But you and I have to understand the physical man can limit the spiritual man. We cannot serve God well with sick, tired, low speed, broken down, abused bodies. It matters to God how well we take care of our physical man. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God and that you are not your own for you have been bought for a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. When we pollute it with all kinds of garbage processed foods that produce sickness and diabetes and cancer and all of these things. Listen, you know, you know, you don't think that this is a spiritual or a practical thing, but it is. Because when we pour all this garbage into our bodies and then we reap the consequences of it, guess what? We can't serve God with these bodies. But our body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. You know, I've always heard that scripture and thought about it. Uh, you know, your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. There's some days my body feels like a haunted house. It's just aches and pains and I need this cream and that pill and this and help me, Jesus. I've noticed that, you know, if you don't take care of yourself, it, 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 it robs the quality of life. Listen to me, I, I'm 53 years old, and I'm, you know, I'm realizing now, if, if you're younger than me, if there are young people in here, take care of your body. I watch people in their 20s take pictures. Looks good. In your 30s, you start getting into your childbearing years, that's when everybody lets themselves go. And they stop working out, and they stop eating right, and they stop exercising. Oh, it's quiet now. Hey, I'm here to help you. You're like, get back to something else. Talk about something else. But this will save us, amen. What we eat, what we drink, how faithfully we exercise matters to God because our body's a temple and we've got to take care of it. Start today. Make some changes. Stay healthy. Stay out of the doctor's office. Stay off all the pills they want to put us on. Come on. Christians need to understand that all these paths that I just mentioned, and there's more, uh, we walk those simultaneously every day. All of them have a profound uh, effect on the overall spiritual health and effectiveness of our lives. If any one of these things are out of order, we're not going to be able to be as productive as we could be. 
If I develop my gifts, I develop my anointing, and I develop my ministry, and everything's going good, but I neglect my wife and my family, and my relationships are out of order, it's going to have an impact. If I develop all these things, and I have healthy relationships, but I don't take care of my body, and I get sick and diseased, it's going to have an impact. I'm telling you, all these things work together in concert. They, they are paths that we walk simultaneously every day. And they're not, it's not just the spiritual one that's spiritual. They're all spiritual because together they make the package of the spiritual man. And God wants us to be healthy and well-developed and, and our spiritual man in order and our gifts developed so that he can use us for his glory. Amen. Last point, I'm going to close down with this. Has God proven his willingness to lead people in the past? Some people think, I'm just here, I get saved, you know, I do my own thing, and I die, and I go to be with Jesus. You know, has God proven that he wants to lead? Has God proven that he leads people, you know, the people of the past here? Uh, that's a legitimate question. You know, is God concerned with the details of my life? Can I expect him to help me navigate the decisions of my life? Does God have a history of leading individuals, or does he just lead the church? You know, in the Old Testament, he led Israel, but, you know, people just kind of did their thing. Now he leads the church, and we just kind of stay in church. No, God has proven throughout history that he leads individuals. Let's take a look and consider uh, the scripture and what it says about the people of God throughout history. Consider how precisely and faithfully God led Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The three patriarchs of the faith here. You know, Abraham, he led him step by step out of a land of Ur into a land that he didn't know. He directed him all through the desert. He directed everything about him. He promised him that he would be the father of many nations. He kept his promise, even though it, it, the, the way it went with him and Sarah, he was 100, she was 90 when they had the promised son. Come on. But God directed every step of that. How about Isaac? Same thing. How about Jacob? Absolutely. All his sons, the 12 tribes of Israel, God directed their paths as they led, as they roamed around and wandered seemingly in circles, but God directed every step. How about the life of Moses? Look at, look at the scenarios of Moses' life, each one to develop him, to get him to the next place, to, to make him who God wanted him to be, amen, from Pharaoh's house to a slave bringing people out of Egypt to wandering around in the wilderness. Every step ordered by God. How about David? Absolutely. How about the prophets? Every one of them. God ordered their steps, put his word in their mouths, put them before the people he wanted them to testify to. Uh, consider how beautifully Jesus led and kept his own disciples. He led his disciples, everyone that the Father gave him. You say, well, what about Jesus? Judas, we're going to talk about him in a second. But the disciples that had the right heart and were there to be with Jesus, he kept them. And even after his death, he kept them. And he sent the Holy Spirit to equip and empower them. And he took care of them. And each one of them accomplished their destiny. And you and I, as disciples, he will lead as well so that we will accomplish our destiny. John 17, 12, while I was with them, Jesus is speaking here, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, I guarded them, and not one of them perish except the son of destruction so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. Jesus is saying, I didn't lose one that you gave me, Father. The, the, the one who went down in flames, that was his choice, that was his heart, and that was to fulfill the scripture. But every one that you gave me, I kept them, I protected them, and I'm going to present them to you. And Jesus is going to do the same thing for each and every one of us. Amen. Consider how perfectly and clearly the Holy Spirit led the Apostle Paul from his miraculous conversion, knocking him down, blinding him, Jesus testifying to him, revealing to him. He was trained. He was presented as an apostle. And every step of his four missionary journeys was ordered by the Holy Spirit. Listen to Acts 16, 6 through 10. Uh, this shows how actively the Holy Spirit was 
in leading Paul's ministry. You might say, well, Old Testament, yeah, God led a few people, but, you know, I don't know. Listen, listen to what the Holy Spirit did in leading Paul in Acts 16, verse 6. They passed through Phrygia and the Galatia region after being forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Did you hear that? So he's directing them. He said, go here, go there. Don't go to Asia. Don't preach there. Verse 7. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go in Bithynia. And the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Passing by Mysia, they went to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When he seeing the vision, he immediately sought to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So here's just a little snippet of Paul's life. The Holy Spirit's directing them where to go, telling them where not to go, forbidding them to go to one place, then giving them a vision and sending them to another place. I would call that the leading of the Holy Spirit, amen? You say, well, that's the Apostle Paul. Listen, God is no respecter of persons. God's not, well, I'm going to direct the Apostle Paul, but hey, Leonardo, you're on your own. No, he wants to direct our paths. He's ordained our steps. God will be faithful to direct our paths. We must follow his lead. It is wise for us to consider how we're following the leading of God in the paths of life. How are we following the leading of the Holy Spirit in our spiritual growth, in our relational paths, in our work paths, in our physical paths? It's wise for us to consider these things so that we can cooperate with the Holy Spirit and not be a mule and dig our heels in in life. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I just thank you for... Proverbs chapter 3, what a beautiful text it is and how we're just unpacking all of it. One line we took tonight, and he shall direct your paths. Father, everything you've revealed to us tonight, Father, let it illuminate our understanding that when we wake up in the morning, we realize we have a purpose. We are called for a purpose. The Holy Spirit is conforming us to the image of Christ. We're being sanctified. We're, our gifts are being honed uh, and, uh, and released so that we can be productive spiritually. Father, help us to mind our relationships and our vocation. And Father, help us uh, to be those who would just be very mindful that the Holy Spirit is trying to lead us so that we wouldn't lean on our own understanding but at every juncture, at every step, we would be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit that you might direct our paths. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.